Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, January 18th. I'll have a full episode up later today, breaking down all aspects of day five of the 2024 Australian Open. But this is one of those rare moments that happen sporadically throughout the course of every season where I just feel both compelled and obliged to fire up this podcast and offer an emergency addition to the show for all of you tennis fans as day five of the 2024 Australian Open is off to some sort of start. I've got three matches I want to break down on this emergency edition of the show as each of Iga Fiontech, Sasha Zverev, and Kasper Ruud were pushed to the brink in their round two singles matches. In the case of world number one, Iga Svantec, she was down both a double break 4-1 deficit as well as 2-4 love 40 in her deciding set against former Australian Open finalist Danielle Collins. Collins just seemed to be having one of those days where everything was landing good and her pace, the pressure she was putting on the world number one was clearly getting too Sviantec, and then the switch just flipped. It's not just that Iga raised her level, and she certainly did to some extent, but things just changed so rapidly, so dramatically in that match. Sviantec ultimately overcoming that deficit again to earn a 6-4 deciding set victory over Collins, advance to round number three. Her knee a little bit banged up as well, certainly something to note moving forward. There are just all sorts of things to discuss from what was certainly the most chaotic match we have had to date at the year's first major. So got to offer my extended thoughts on that match. And then we got to talk about two fifth set deciding 10-point breakers to kick off day number five on the men's side for Sasha Zverev, ultimately overcoming a two sets to one deficit to earn a 7-5-3-6-4-6-7-6-7-6 victory over a Lucas Klein who was just swinging freely. Wasn't just Klein, by the way. Casper Ruud's opponent, Max Purcell, exact same story. The aggression these two played with, knowing the challenge in front of them today in round two. It was inspiring stuff. And again, ultimately, Ruud, a five-set, 6-3-6-7-6-3-3-6-7-6 victory over Purcell to advance to round three. I want to talk about the mechanics of each of those victories, what I learned from these three thrilling matches to kick off day number five. And just to address this at the top here, even before we get into those matches, what a moment. It's one of those special times as a tennis fan where this sport truly delivers. And it happens at the majors, of course, more than anywhere else, given the gravitas, the stakes of those major events. But to have the world number one women's player, the world number six men's player, world number 11 men's player, all playing simultaneously, all pushed to the brink in these moments. It makes you forget or, dare I say, push to the side storylines like 19-year-old Linda Naskova reaching the third round of this event in three sets. You had another inspiring story, 19-year-old Alex Mickelson upsets last year's quarter finalist in Yuri Lehechka. I'm going to save both of those matches for the show I'm going to record for all of you listeners later when we break down everything in depth. I got to go watch highlights from those matches. I didn't have time to watch them because I was locked into Sviantec, locked into Zverev, locked into Rude. It's just a special moment. 
as a tennis fan, where it all kind of falls into place. And I know it's happening late on a Wednesday night, early on a Thursday morning here in the United States. But man, oh man, sometimes, excuse me for me, it's extraordinarily fun to get to do my job. Not sometimes, all times, but this is one of those moments where it's over-the-top exciting. And thus, we fired up this emergency edition of the Mini Break Podcast for all of you listeners. Now, you may have already noticed, I am sans super producer Daniel Westoff, who is either asleep or in the process of falling asleep. I texted him. We were going to do an emergency video if Shriantek lost after she won. I said, you know what? I'll just make it a podcast instead. I'm going to wait for Zverev rude to finish as well. So it's 12.24 a.m. Eastern time right now. Thus, we are producerless. But I got to offer my thoughts right away as, again, we have three thrillers to kick off day five. Of course, shout out to you listeners. You can hear the full recap on this show later. You can hear previews of every day's action over on the Great Shot podcast feed. A thank you, as always, to the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point. Their support allows us to do things like a record a podcast Thursday, January 18th at 12.25 a.m. Eastern time because something unbelievable unfolded at the 2024 Australian Open. They also provide the best equipment at the best price all in one location, tennis-point.com. Use our promo code CR15 to make sure we know they know that we sent you there. Again, going to have to leave that in. We don't have West off tonight. You know what? We do have thrilling tennis to discuss, so let's get to it. Let's talk Sviantec Collins first because there was a moment in all of our minds where we thought, oh my God, the world number one is going to be eliminated in round number two of this event. And credit to the 30-year-old Collins, who has these sorts of moments, right? Particularly in Australia, where she reached the semifinals uh, back in 2019. Finals, of course, in 2022. We saw her beat Iga at this very event in the 2022 semifinals. A 4-1 victory over Sviantek on that occasion for Collins. We also obviously saw Collins push Sviantek very, very closely in Cincinnati last year. Uh, excuse me, in Canada last year, Sviantek ultimately grinding out a three set win. Danielle Collins plays the sort of disruptive power tennis, the sort of carefree, in the best sense, I am going down swinging freely and playing on my terms. And if you beat me doing that, I can live with it, but I'm not going to let you jerk me around the court. She has the sort of mindset. She has the sort of self-confidence. She has the sort of firepower on the baseline to make Iga Sviantek even uncomfortable. And we saw that in spades in sets two and through the start of set number three, just the depth, the pace, how flat that ball was coming into the Sviantec forehand. Iga's forehand fell apart, and I don't have the official stat in front of me. I know she made 35 unforced errors throughout the course of the match. I can't tell you specifically how many of those came on the forehand side. It felt like all of them in set number three. She wasn't swinging through the forehand. There was no racket speed there. It fell apart, and it's because she didn't have confidence. It's because the depth of Collins' ball prevented her from getting into her backswing, from being aggressive with her footwork, setting her feet. No, she had to like half-scoop these balls off the baseline because of how hot they were coming in, particularly when Sviantek missed her first serve. Sviantek winning just 9 of 30 points on her second serve in this match. Collins so aggressive on the return of serve. I mean, look, again, first two set, sets of tennis, not particularly remarkable nor memorable. Again, Collins played extraordinarily well. 
throughout the course of the first two and a half sets in this match. 28 winners against 37 unforced errors. Set number two in particular, uh, she really cleaned things up. Eight winners against nine for unforced errors, but allowed the Sviantec forehand to sort of break down and kept pressuring it with pace. Ultimately gifted 15 unforced errors by Sviantec in that set. Set number three was fascinating because both players hold to start. Collins a dramatic hold where, again, Ego was able to pressure her in just about every service game of that third set. Collins then breaks Sviantek 4-2-1 after Ega hits just two bad forehands. Like, both forehands sprayed on her early in rallies, albeit the first error was off of a good Collins return. The second was just a standard plus-one ball that at that point Ega had lost for confidence in her forehand, so she misses it long. All of a sudden, it's love 30. Collins breaks for 3-1. Again, Collins faces some pressure in her service game grinds her way to a 3-1 uh, hold, and then all of a sudden, Iga, again, the forehand falls apart. She gets broken, 4-4-1, four, four, now down a double break. I think I screwed up that timeline. It went Collins held, Iga held, one all. Collins faced pressure, held for 2-1. Iga then broken for 3-1. Collins then faces pressure again, holds for 4-1. There we go. No, that's not right because she was up a double break lead. Again, we have to leave it all in because I don't have West off. I am certain it was double break 4-1. It's late at night. Let's try this math math again. Iga Sviantek holds for one love. Collins holds for one all. Faced pressure. There we go. In that first service game of the set. Then Sviantek gets broken for 2-1. Collins has all sorts of pressure face uh, put upon her in that fourth game of the set, ultimately able to hold 4-3-1, finds a couple of big serves, big backhands cross. It felt like, again, given the heavy topspin Iga plays with, that ball was just sitting up in Collins' strike zone for her to bunt down on, swing freely through, and she did that all match long through the first two and a half sets. Again, then a shaky, shaky service game for Sviantek. And of her four double faults in the match, two of them came in the third set, one of them in that shaky 1-3 game. All of a sudden, Collins breaks for 4-1. She's up a double break, and you think to yourself, oh my God, she might actually win this match. Now, after that, again, Danielle Collins, uh, or excuse me, Iga Sviantek, able to break after a loose Collins service game, 4-4-2, just I think she even broke at love. Like, very loose service game from Collins. Sort of service game that happens when you're up a double break on the world number one in a slam match. But, again, that was a very forgettable game for Danielle Collins. And you thought for a moment it would be precisely that forgettable because Danielle Collins races out to a love 40 lead after connecting on a couple of returns, generating forehand errors from the Sviantec side. That was the theme in the early portions of that third set. Sviantec's forehand was sailing all over the arena. Like, it, it I cannot emphasize enough. It, I, I can't believe she found a way to grind that match out with, you could just see it was visceral. Like, she wasn't swinging through the ball. She was so handsy with it. She was clearly uncertain where that ball was going to go every time, resorting to just trying to land the ball in the center third of the court with any sort of depth down the home stretch. Again, she goes down 2-4 love 40, lands a good a couple of good ad side first serves, somehow kicks a second serve in on the do side where I thought that was a double fault for sure to give the double break right back to Collins 5-2 and the match. No, it sneaks on the line. She sneaks out that 15-40 point, sneaks out the hold from Love 40 down. Now all of a sudden it's 4-3. Collins up just a single break. But remember, this is an Igo Sviantek who has broken 50% of the time 
over the last 52 weeks. And Iga Swiatek, who ends this match, 7 of 15 on break points, 16, 6 of 15 was Danielle Collins, 13 breaks in a 29-game match. Collins fell apart uh, after that 4-2, after she was unable to break at 4-2, love 40, and just a wave of errors from Danielle Collins. Sviantek breaks again, 4-4 all. An easy hold for Sviantek, her first easy hold in so long, 4-5-4. Sviantek now races out 5-4, love 40, and you think, yep, this match is over. It wasn't. Danielle Collins came back with some fire, landed a couple of first serves, got aggressive with her backhand, was able to extend some points. Again, generate errors from Sviantek, who still lacked any sort of confidence in her forehand wing. And yet again, after a couple of match points fought off, I believe overall uh, you look for Danielle Collins, she was able to fight off her first two match points down. Excuse me, it wasn't love 40. It was down 15-40 and 30-40. Ultimately, Sviantek able to convert on the third match point. You could see her racket dropped out of her hands. This was a second-round match, and yet you could see how much it meant to Sviantek, particularly given the fact that midway through that third set, right around 4-1, Andrea Petkovic on the ESPN broadcast reported that you could see some visceral pain for Iga Sviantek when she was landing on the serve. And look, she had her knee wrapped, or she had her knee... Well, what is that called? She had a brace or a little band thing on her knee, got it taped up for this set and, you know, talked about after the match how she'd been feeling her knee a little bit since Cancun as well. Certainly, Sviantek's going to need to be moving her best given the power tennis we've seen displayed from the likes of Rabakina, Sabalenka, Ostapenko so far this season. But given she, given the forehand was giving her fits, given her serve wasn't landing with particular gusto. And given the zone Collins was in, again, she was ripping the ball so cleanly in building that 4-1 lead. I cannot believe Iga came back. Like, that's what world number ones do. I get it. And you look for Iga Sviantek now. She's, four, uh, excuse me, 15-6 and six in her career in deciding sets at slams. This actually snaps a 2 Deciding set losing streak. She had lost to Svitolina in a third set. Wimbledon, Ostapenko last year, third set U.S. Open. Now she gets a third set win over Collins to kick off 2024. You look for Iga now. She's 11-7 and seven in deciding sets over her last 52 weeks. So again, even if you get her there, she's still more likely to beat you. Iga Sviantek now has won her last 16 round of 64 matches at the majors. Her last loss coming at the 2019 U.S. Open. I mean, again, it's twofold. I know I kind of stumbled through the recap there. I apologize for that fact. I'll clean everything up perhaps when we come back later in the day. But for Iga Sviantek to go down 4-1 in the third in the fashion that she did with her forehand spraying everywhere with Danielle Collins connecting so cleanly. Again, Iga Sviantek won just 9 of 30 points on her second serve throughout the course of this match. In set number three, she made two-thirds of her first serves, but she lost two of ten second serve points that she faced. It wasn't like things were getting any better. She was staring down the barrel of defeat. The guy, you know, again, she was. She said in the post-match, I was, I was in the airport in my head. I was ready to go home. Really helped that Danielle Collins fell apart down the stretch in set number three. Again, just unforced error after unforced error. And part of that is a byproduct of, hey, you swing freely. The highs are going to be high. The lows are going to be low. That's always part of the Danielle Collins experience. This has to be a devastating loss, though, for Collins. 4-1 up, 4-2 love 40, a chance at securing a double break for a 5-2 lead in the third. And again, just too many errors down the home stretch. And that's a testament to Sviantek 
who even with the knee braced up, was still moving well, was still trying to extend rallies. She was fine on the backhand wing, elite on that wing as always. It was the forehand that was betraying her, and yet she found a way to roll it in, found a way to get it hit it with enough depth to pressure Danielle Collins. Then once she got Collins stretched again, was much more sound in just guiding her approach shots to the open space down the home stretch of set number three. It was a mature finish for Iga Svantec. Again, she is through to the third round, survives against Danielle Collins. She's going to have a date with another big hitter coming up in 19-year-old Linda Nuskova. And obviously, Nuskova probably won't play with the freedom, the carelessness in the best way possible, the swing-freely nature and gusto of Danielle Collins. But Svantec's going to face some pressure again in round number three. Now, she will be the heavy favorite based on pedigree. Obviously, Nuskova, despite her recent successes, no Danielle Collins in Australia in terms of success against semifinals, finals to Collins' name. And she could at least coming into this come into this match saying, hey, I've beaten Iga before and taken her to three sets in the last six months. But Iga freaking Sviantek, that's what a world number one does. Double break, 4-1 down. She advances to round number three. Again, she is now 15-6 and six in her career in deciding sets at the majors. Still just 22 years old. And again, that's the theme. All of our seeds surviving this early, thrilling day session of day five of the Australian Open. Let's move next to the men's seeds now. Let's go to Sasha Zverev. Two sets to one down. Overcomes the deficit. 7-5-3-6-4-6-7-6-7-6. Sasha Zverev, one of the top 15 returners by break percentage we have in tennis. Just 10, uh, in men's tennis, excuse me, just 10 break points in a five-set match. Able to break serve just two times throughout the course of this match. Lucas Klein hit 80 winners. 80 winners in this five-set match to Zverev's 49. He also had 83 unforced errors to Zverev's 36, 67 of 90 at the net to Zverev's 22 of 39. That tells you exactly the story we saw play out. The 25-year-old uh, from Slovenia, Slovakia, maybe Slovakia, I believe, excuse me, he just played freely. Like, again, that's the theme of all of these challengers tonight, and credit to them. That's why these matches were so fun. Collins, Klein, Purcell, I'm going to swear here without Westhoff, they play like they had nothing to fucking lose. And to see that freedom inspire them, or not inspire them, but see that freedom lead their tennis to such high places. It was inspirational as a viewer to just see, okay, you know what? I'm going to go down swinging, play on my terms. In the case of Lucas Klein, and I said this after his first round victory over Sun Wu Kwan, guys got serious weapons. Like, oh my God, can he rip a forehand cross? Can he lull you with a little short angle inside out forehand and then beat you to the spot inside in or backhand line? And look, when Sasha Zverev faces pressure, he recedes into 12 feet behind the baseline. I'm going to try and grind you down. I'm going to try and make this match a track meet. And then, by the way, I'm going to win the track meet. And then every so often, I'm going to throw a 130-mile-per-hour serve at you. And two, in the end, that game style still allowed the 26-year-old to grind this one out. Sasha Zverev earning the 20th fifth-set victory of his career at the majors. Now 20-11 and 11 overall. He's won his last four five-set decisions. He is now 24-4. and 
four in his career in round of 64s at the majors. He started out four and three, so he's won uh, 20 of his last 21 round threes at the major, uh, round twos at the major, excuse me, his last loss coming at the Australian Open last year to Michael Moe. So again, the rest of the way now, he's gaining points to his resume as he tries to resume his top five push, top two push, dare I say, try to ascend to world number one. That's obviously, if you watch the Netflix series, the standards Zverev holds for himself. And of course, right now, Sasha Zverev's facing some serious pressure off the court. His domestic violence accusation that he faces in Germany going to head to public trial. Members of the media justifiably asking his peers whether it's appropriate for Zverev to be searching on the uh, serving on the ATP Player Council right now. A question I think every player should ask as they voted him to be one of their representatives despite the gravity of the nature of the allegations he faced. Again, this is something I discussed on the mini break a couple of days ago. Zverev grinds his way to a five-set victory. Again, it was vintage Sasha Zverev in the set that it was tight. He was the defensive player. He eked out a couple of missed volleys or drop shots or little things here and there where Lucas Klein had his moments. He had a break point, four-all, fourth set on Sasha Zverev's serve when Zverev was able to convert that again, take that, uh, you know, and by the way, Klein was up early in the third set breaker, mini break, I think up until the 4-2 mark in that third set breaker, he was up a mini break early in the fifth set breaker, excuse me, the fourth and fifth set breakers is where he was up mini breaks, and yet Zverev able to take those last two breakers again. He clearly is fit once again, moving as well as he was pre-injury. The first serve continues to be a serious place of success for him. 21 aces, he made 75% of his first serves, won 78% of those first serve points. In a five-set match, he played just 45 points on his second serve. Now he won just 40% of them, and Klein was just gripping and ripping whenever anything was left short. That's why this match was played so tightly, uh, was so tightly contested. But again, Sasha Zverev, Ultimately advancing in five sets, Zverev advancing to the third round of this Australian Open. You look for him in his career now. He is into the third round uh, of a Grand Slam for the 24th time in his career. Not too shabby uh, for the 26-year-old. First time in Australia since 2022 that he's reached round number three for Lucas Klein. Look, again... This was his first second round appearance at a major, just his second main draw appearance at a major event overall, his last one coming back at Wimbledon in 2022. He's now 6-15 and 15 in his career against the top 100, but, you know, again, he comes out of Australia with wins over top 100 players in Quinton Halise, Sebastian Baez. He, play, you know, a three-set loss to Matteo Arnaldi, and he played Sasha Zverev as tightly possible as he could be played. His weapons have a place in the top 100. He can just pressure you from the baseline uh, and from any position on the court. And you look for him in his career. He's had a mixed bag of success. Most of his challenger success on hard courts, but he also has a clay court title at the challenger level in his career. Some future success at the challenger level. This is a guy who, by the way, has only played over 20 matches in a challenger season three times in his career. The last three years, 28 and 19 at the challenger level overall last season. You look for him in his career in terms of tour level matches. Lucas Klein overall, including Davis Cup, just 13 career tour level main draw matches, four and nine overall. His weapons belong on the on the main two uh, on the ATP tour again. Six and 14 against the top 100. I think that's going to start tilting his way more here in 2024 because he was this good all month long, and he's fit. He's swinging freely. 
he's got to be feeling confident despite losing this one by the thinnest of margins against Sasha Zverev, grinding out a five-set victory, 10-7 in the fifth set uh, breaker over Lucas Klein. And again, massive victory for Sasha Zverev. I would have hated if you are in the Zverev camp to see him lose that one, get knocked out early. Well, you know, again, this is the last major he has the opportunity to gain serious points. But as he tries to make a top five push once again, French Open onwards, he'll have the standard amount of points to defend for a top 10 player, but he's got a little three, four-month window here to do some serious building and to get knocked out second round of a slam uh, to a guy outside the top 100, a qualifier. Obviously would have qualified as a serious upset. Zverev found a way, as he always does. Again, missed backhand volley in the fifth set breaker. One Klein will certainly regret he had it on top of the net. Would have consolidated a mini break lead. Was unable to do so. Zverev surviving 10-7 in the third. He will be joined in the third round by his round of 16 and, dare I say, eighth of the draw companion, Kasper Ruud, who I thought had looked so wonderful in the buildup to this second round match against Max Purcell. And honestly, I thought he played pretty well tonight in what was a 6-3-6-7-6-3-3-6-7-6 victory, 10-7 in the third for the 11th seed. Once again, let me point to the Purcell numbers. 27 aces, 93 winners against 65 unforced errors. He rushed the net 101 times in this match, converted 72 of 101 net points compared to Root's 18 of 28. Rude 19 unforced errors to Purcell's 65. 44 winners for Root ain't too shabby, including 20 aces, uh, 22 aces against the 93 for Purcell. But what does that tell you? It tells you Max Purcell said, I don't care what you're doing, Casper Rude. The moment I can come over the top of the forehand, bunt down on it, try to drive it through the court and move forward behind it, I'm taking that opportunity. Took every chance to pressure Rude, move forward to the net, force Casper to come up with at least something good from a defensive position. And look, to Casper's credit, he was able to do that. Plus, he was able to continue to assert himself with his serve, with his plus one forehand. Casper was broken just once in this five-set match. Fought off 12 of the 13 break points that he faced. Oftentimes bailed out. Kick serve to the one-handed backhand. Plus one forehand from there, wherever that backhand return went. Casper stayed the course in what was, again, a match where the entire crowd was trying to will their home countryman, Purcell, over the finish line. Purcell clearly found some magic down match points. 5-6 in that fifth set, able to grind his way to a hold. Excuse me, not 5-6, but 4-5 in that fifth set. Able to grind his way to a hold, ultimately force that fifth set breaker, even down a double mini break in that fifth set breaker, 7-4. Purcell was able to get one back, hit an electric passing shot. This on-the-run uh, on forehand down the line winner that he beat Root to the spot after Root hit a ridiculous short-angle forehand. Max Purcell played the best tennis of his career. Max Purcell played like a guy who has just recently risen to a top 50 ranking and is, has the confidence of someone on the ascent. Purcell, the 25-year-old, going to come out of this event ranked 42 right now in the live rankings. He played well enough to advance to round number three. Again, of the 64 players in round number two, I bet he beats 45 of them with the level that he displayed today. Kasper Ruud's one of the 19 he wasn't going to beat. Again, Kasper Ruud played like a top 10 player. I know he's the 11th seed, but a top 10 player has to play 
to get through this sort of challenge early in a major. And it's a massive moment for Kasparud coming off of a major where, you know, last year he got eliminated second round of this event. I forget if it was Jensen Brooksby or Mackie McDonald who beat Kasparud. But, you know, again, this was a big moment for Kasparud. He's now 10-5 and five in deciding fifth sets at the majors in his career. He now, here's a sneaky, weird fact. Kasparud in the round of 64 at majors. And last year's Australian Open lost to Jensen Brooksby. He lost in three second rounds of the majors last year. Australia, Wimbledon, U.S. Open. He's now 9-7 in his career at round in round number two of majors. Dare I say, a little bit of a mental block. If he can get through round two, he can get to the final, but he's got to get to round two first. As a wise man once said, he gets through this one, grinds it out down the home stretch. Uh, by the way, on one of his match points in that 4-5 uh, service game for Purcell, he almost pulled off a ridiculous on-the-run forehand uh, down-the-line passing shot to clinch things. Nadal-esque, dare I say, on that forehand pass that just missed wide. He moved extraordinarily well. He's talked in press how he, you know, he dropped a few pounds so that he could be a little bit lighter, a little bit quicker on his feet. I mean, again, Kasparud. Max Purcell, this this is what Grand Slam tennis should look like. Rude was not pushed to a fifth set, nor was Zverev, nor was Sviantec because, well, Sviantec was playing a little bit more poorly than the others. Uh, obviously, again, that third set speaks for itself. But more broadly, again, Zverev, Rude, they were not pushed to fifth sets because their levels were poor. They were pushed to fifth sets because their opponents were playing electric, dare I say, round three or second week levels of tennis in these uh, two kickoff day number five. And again, both seeds able to survive the test. Zverev, Rude, each earning 10-7 victories in what we're deciding set fifth set breakers. That is your emergency mini break podcast. But again, we will be back later today to break down the other 29 matches we will see played out in the singles draws on day number five. Of course, if you're looking for a preview of day six, be sure to go check out the Great Shot podcast feed. A thank you as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, who makes all of our content possible, including a soon-to-be pivot to posting these episodes on YouTube, on our YouTube channel. I know I promised that yesterday. We thought we were recording the episode. As expected, it was day number one. It was try number one. We had some technical difficulties. We have a segment of that episode, and certainly Westoff prepared that segment just to give us a preview of what we can expect moving forward. It looked awesome. So, again, expect more of these episodes on YouTube moving forward. We'll have video as well as audio versions of these podcasts for all of you fans to enjoy. In the meantime, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I am your host, Alex Gruskin. We hope you've enjoyed this emergency mini break uh, uh, emergency edition. That's how you know it's now 12.50 a.m. We hope you have all enjoyed this emergency edition of the mini break podcast. And for now, you know what we say. That's the break. And we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.